Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host, podcast producer, and sports writer for the LSJ, joined by Harper's top two customers, free beat writer Chris Solari and LSJ sports columnist Graham Couch. Gentlemen, how's your Harper's experience been in the past month? Wow. Yeah. We're going to throw Harper's under the bus right, right from the get-go, yeah. huh? <laughs> I, I'm actually still waiting on a beer from 1998. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I've been a long time since I've been in Harper's. Um, it's not really my scene anymore. So, uh, I, I'm uh, that that one. I'm 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 safe to say I have not been in. Chris, uh, I mean, how many times would could you even count how many times you've been? You were Harper's as an undergrad, or was that not really a thing for you when you well matriculated? It started. It actually changed to Harper's while I was in school. It uh, was Dooley's. Um, I remember my first week freshman year uh, on the student radio station, winning tickets to Sensations. And trying to go there over, uh, I think it was Labor Day weekend, and then being told, no, you have to be 19 to get in here, which you learn later is a complete lie. You don't have to be any age. They'll, they will let anybody in, particularly <laughs> a female. But, but uh, I, I don't believe, I maybe went to Sensations once that I can recall, Tooley's once before the ownership changed. And then we, we did go to the Harper's Club for a while, uh, my my last year in college, but quickly realized that we we were way past that scene at that point and started to to matriculate our ways to other bars that were Solari, a little better. Solari started to look like he does now and and realized that the Harper scene was not for him. Yeah, but based on my uh, rideshare rideshare driving experiences, I can confirm that almost every undergrad has a fake ID or at least appears to. Uh, and also, it's kind of funny. We are we are all gentlemen of a certain age, and I'm surprised how many people will, will tweet either at us or at the LSJ account regarding Harper's that people are shocked that Harper's is even a go-to place in 2020. But I, I can also confirm that as an extremely popular spot, which I don't think was the case uh, maybe a decade or two ago. It, it was. It, oh. It's always been there. You know, there have been when I I say that jokingly that I'm waiting for a beer since 1998. It's actually not true. I'm still waiting for someone to come and wait on me, um, <laughs> which, you know, they're always busy, even though they're even when they're not, if you know what I mean. All right. Uh, we are all luckily, though, we are all covid free gentlemen. So uh, we can the Harper stuff will hopefully not affect us as long as we are you know, wearing masks and staying safe. But I don't think anyone wants, wants to hear us talk about Harper's anymore. Uh, Got some other Michigan State sports-related topics to discuss, and we will. Spend- I got to say, go, go yeah, for writers who are supposed to get to the lead and be punchy, like right after Imani Bates commits, we took like seven minutes on Harper's. I, I got to say, that's I, there are a lot of editors. Like, if you were to write a story like that with a with a lead-in, you know, and and you know, just really anecdotal lead about Harper's to get to Imani Bates in paragraph seven, 
uh, they would edit it. Sorry, this is See, not... but the be- the beautiful thing allows us. This is the part of of being writers, though, that comes into play where where you go into that story, you you build to that story, you, you get them, you get the hook because people want to talk about Harper's, but maybe not as much as they want to talk about Imani Bates. I was just going to say it's the opening minutes of a podcast where we can usually those are free minutes to speak about, you know, whatever we want to really, whatever, what's going on in our life, what's going on in East Lansing or whatever. So, well, I guess, I guess the big, (laughs) the big question to tie it all together is will Imani Bates ever step foot in Harper's? As I was uh, attempting to get to uh, a few seconds ago, uh, we'll spend most of this podcast talking about Imani Bates, who as everyone listening has almost certainly heard by now, uh, gave his commitment to Michigan State during the ESPN Sports Center telecast on Monday afternoon and uh, sent some shockwaves in many facets, maybe to the Michigan State coaches earlier that day, to Michigan State fans the, the entirety of the day, and, and maybe some of us journalists as well. Uh, as I said, we'll talk mostly about Imani Bates, and then we will take your Twitter questions. So let's just get right into it. Imani Bates, he committed to Michigan State. How surprised are you that A, he actually committed to Michigan State, and B, did it on a brand, what it seems to be a pretty random Monday afternoon? Graham, I'll start with you. Well, I was really surprised. I mean, I've been out of the sports world a little bit. Like, even today, I was actually writing a column that had something to do a little bit with Harper's. Uh, so it's where my head had been, actually, all morning. Um, and I always I, come back to that. That's right. Yeah. It's, the th- it's, the, not- it's the through line for today's podcast. I did not see it coming. Uh, it was not prepared for it. We had a massive tree fall in our backyard just as it happened. Like I came back up to get my phone after my wife. I went. I heard this thud, a bad sign for my marriage. There's a massive thud, huge thud. I don't check on my wife. She doesn't check on me. We sort of just assume, you know, one of us fell. And um, eventually I get off this interview I was doing, go downstairs, see her. There's The tree in our neighbor's yard is collapsed. Run back upstairs. It's Solari on the phone, and telling me that Amani Pates has committed. That was the first I knew of it. I was in a completely different realm all morning. Did not know it was going to come. And and frankly, Michigan State, from what I understand, didn't didn't know it was coming uh, that day or you know earlier in the day. Didn't didn't have any idea either. So I, I think it was. Um, I think a lot of people were surprised. I didn't know he'd do it this early, and and um, I think that's. You can argue that that's good or or. Not good, um, and we can get into that in a minute. Yeah, and I I started hearing the rumblings, kind of like a lot of people, maybe around noon on Monday, that you know Bates was going to be on ESPN and, and and feeling out some people about it. Uh, the prep school situation came up, and I thought, well, that's a, a pretty big news, and you know, it basically. It went, I don't know if you've ever seen a situation where the number one player in the country creates his own prep school. Um, you have the Josh Jackson situation with his mom creating the prolific prep program uh, that was tied to another school, but not necessarily something like this. And Josh Jackson at that point wasn't exactly Imani Bates, either a generational type talent. He was a very good basketball player, but not necessarily someone that's being mentioned in the same breath with Magic Johnson and LeBron James and Kevin Durant. But um as, as he uh, explained that, um, when they did shift to the, the commitment to Michigan State, uh, I, I got to admit, I was caught off guard as well. Um, they kept that a pretty quiet secret. And usually, you know, in this day and age of social media and recruiting sites and everything else, uh, for that to be kept quiet, even if people knew that it probably would be Michigan State if he did go to college and you know, the language he chose, I thought, was pretty particular uh, about what might be in his future. 
Um, it's still kind of surprising that, that they were able to keep that hush-hush for so long. Yeah, personally, I wonder, I mean, I think a lot of people might believe this too, that just the, the, the announcement of the Prep Academy, the, it's called Yipsy Prep Academy, and Covington Michigan State were just kind of tied in hand-in-hand hand to kind of bolster, maybe bolster both of those sides for him. Yeah, well, look, I, 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 I always question whether he'd make it all the way through at Ypsilanti Lincoln. Like the, the old school prep basketball fan in me wanted to see that happen, or even if he reclassified to make his whole career there. Um, but when you're the Gatorade National Player of the Year as a sophomore, and you may have two years left, and you're trying to develop your game, you you got to find a level of competition that lets you do that, I think. And, and so this, this I think, makes, makes some sense in this case, certainly. And I think the other thing, and, and let's face it, there's another component to this that doesn't really necessarily fit the Spartan Speak podcast, but is going to have reverberations around the state. It's a seismic shift for some of the top players in the state to be going to play for this program, including Bates. And I think one of the things that comes along with that from Bates' angle is more exposure, the ability to be on ESPN like we saw with LeBron James during his high school career in Akron. Um, you know, things that were were basically roadblocked by MHSAA rules. Um, it doesn't surprise me that he went that route. The, the, the way that they did it, and I'd heard that the funding was in place, the location was in place, players had been in place um, since even back before the, the COVID situation popped up, and that they kept it quiet is pretty remarkable. Um, but it also has, uh, you know, I think from, from Bates' standpoint, you know, he now can be make that next step to where LeBron was in high school and maximize his exposure, uh, which hasn't been the case. I don't feel like, and you guys can maybe see, speak to this as well, even with the Sports Illustrated cover, even with the, the attention that, that Bates has got nationally, I don't feel like he's had that generational type exposure like LeBron did for so long. Yeah, I don't think he had. And I'm trying to remember exactly how early like we all started paying attention to LeBron. And, and the, the comparison you hear the most like apt, obviously, is Kevin Durant. Um, and, and I wasn't really I knew Durant as a high school senior and not before that. Um, so I don't know that, you know, how much, you know, much more or less it is. I do think there is a, um, a hesitancy to crown people after guys like Jabari Parker, uh, who was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, who, uh, I, you know, I remember our friend Diamond Leung when he was at M Live saying, you know, if he went to Michigan State, we might all be writing books about this guy. And he wound up, you know, going to Duke and being a good player, very good player there on a otherwise weak Duke team and then having injuries in the NBA was never, you know, was not a very good defender, was never the player that people touted him to be. And so I think there is a, you know, it's, it's the Darko effect, right, differently. The next European was going to be drafted too low after Darko. The next European was going to be lazy and not hungry for the game. The, the next guy who was supposed to be the guy um, like this, I think there was always going to be a little bit of trepidation for just because it, it, Parker wasn't. Well, I do think that, and that for me, it it all goes back to the Marcus Liberty situation. Liberty? Yeah. I mean, Marcus Liberty was the first junior high kid I can remember hearing about when he, yeah. I remember Sports Illustrated did the best in their class. And I believe it may have been the, the issue with Gary Payton on the cover. And they, they broke down every single uh, player, uh, a top player by age. And Marcus Liberty, I believe was seventh or eighth grade at the time. 
and people put these gigantic expectations on him um, and didn't quite, you know, but from that time to when he finally got to that college age, he went from being head and shoulders above his, his peer group in seventh or eighth grade to being a very good player by the time he was in high school and college. Uh, but the one thing about Amani Bates that separates him and probably puts him more in that LeBron category is it, you've seen that consistent growth. You, you've seen him drop 63 in a game in high school. You've seen him uh, hit a, how many game-winning shots, um, the type of things that, that build a legacy and build a legend at the high school level that, that allow you to do that. Um, now, with, with creating a prep school and you know being able to go out of state and play that top talent, he's got a chance to, to cement that legacy before he gets to wherever his next step is going to be. And, you know, there, there, there's a lot of options ahead for him. I love, I love the Marcus Liberty shout out. Uh, one of many players who was called the next Magic Johnson at one point or another. Speaking of the next Magic Johnson, you should check out my article on LSJ.com, which I wrote today about the many athletes who have been called the next Magic Johnson and see how their careers did and did not turn out. All right. Shameless plug over. Go ahead, Graham. Very good. Yeah, no, um, I, I, the one thing about LeBron is, is, is obviously Le, LeBron is a physical specimen. It was just something unbelievable and still is. And, and, and Bates is obviously a string bean, but, but the man is skilled, right? He is, um, I mean, it, it just an unbelievable skill set, and, and, and obviously six, nine and, um, you know, the work on the strength and, and he's also a sophomore in high school. You know, most of us were gangly creatures, uh, as sophomores in high school, and we weren't six nine, so and didn't have that skill set. Um, yeah, it, it's a big deal because what, what, what gets interesting now is the whole idea of will he play at Michigan State, right? And does he ever get there? Do they ever get to benefit from this? And there are a couple thoughts. One that the fact that he commits to MSU at all, even if he never goes, and it'll be heartbreaking in certain realms if he doesn't go. But for a couple years, even if he winds up in the G league. And here's the thing to remember, if he does wind up in the G league or they change the rules and he goes straight to the NBA, there is no way that he's reclassifying in that case. If he's reclassifying, he's going to wind up at MSU for a year, at least. Correct. And so, so that's going to be two years then with Michigan state having him as a commit and you can recruit to that. That's great for the brand. I mean, that is, you talk about, you know, you think about where Izzo was at one point where he was getting the Javon Besses and Tum Tum Nairns and, and it really had a couple of years where it wasn't so good. And then you get Deontay Davis and, and, and uh, Miles Bridges, Cassius Winston, all that crew, Langford, uh, you know, uh, through Jaron Jackson, Rocket Watts, and things turn over. This is, but this is for two years is like, that guy is going to MSU. I can play with that guy. Or, uh, so I, I think regardless, it's a big win. And people should enjoy it. And, and and I think everybody knows going in, he could wind up going somewhere else. And I don't know, when I said earlier, if the fact that he commits early is good or bad for MSU. I mean, committing early, if his idea of if the NBA is there for him, that he'll go. And he said, you know, I, I got to show the love. They show me that this might be his way of showing the love. I'm going to give you my commitment. I'm going to be somebody that you, you can attach to me and. And, and, and uh, we're, we're attached together for a couple of years, regardless of what happens. Um, it also may just be that two years from now or a year from now, uh, if he, you know, reclassifies that uh, Michigan State's got uh, the uh, the best talent, certainly of the Izzo era. 
And they're certainly kind of going back to, to what and his decision and what his options are going to be. I mean, first of all, his January 28th, 2004 birthday uh, really kind of handcuffs some things. First of all, if he, if he is to go a year early and reclassify into the 2021 class, he would have to have a year to play somewhere else because he wouldn't be eligible for the G League because uh, he would still only be 17 during that calendar year of 2021. And then in 2022, he still wouldn't be eligible for the NBA at the uh, until he's 19. Again, this is assuming that rules don't change. We thought uh, even as, as much as maybe six or eight months ago, we thought that that would be done as part of this upcoming collective bargaining deal. But Adrian Wojnarowski kind of tampered that a little bit and uh, saying that that's kind of been put well on the back burner might not be part of the the collective bargaining between the NBA and the Players Association until 2025, um, which certainly is, that's going to be have to watch. You're going to have to watch that to figure out what is going to happen with Bates. And he could go overseas. I don't know if, you know, obviously right now you see what's going on with pandemic and travel and things like that. Who knows where we'll be in a year or two with some of those things probably won't affect that decision, but how much exposure again, is he going to get overseas? Um, yeah. How much exposure is he going to get in college versus, I mean, listen, you're going to be on, on ESPN and Fox and CBS national broadcasts, much like Zion Williamson was, you're going to be maximizing that. And, and that along with the fact that if, if you, if this net name and image and likeness situation gets cleared up by 2021 and florida just passed their law and, and governor rick uh ron DeSantis signed it into to to happen july 1st next year um and i would imagine a lot of states are going to have to hustle and hurry to do that as well or the ncaa or federal or government will get involved in that as they had hearings about today uh which is wednesday if you're listening um you know that's a that's a situation where how much exposure and how much money could someone like Amani Bates, who is in that that certain stratosphere of very few players ever get to as a marketable athlete, how much could he stand to benefit uh, by just playing at Michigan State? Yeah, no, it's an early test case for that. It really is to have a player of this caliber. And, you know, Izzo has spoken about the concerns of, of what you can get in East Lansing and how that'll affect, you know, I mean, boosters at Kentucky or in a major market. Now, I... Major well, here's the, here, think about this one, okay? They're creating a high school prep program for for Imani Bates called the Ypsilanti Prep Academy. What it let's say name, image, and likeness is is approved, and athletes are allowed to do whatever and make whatever. Why couldn't if he's at Michigan State? Why couldn't that be rebranded the Imani Bates Prep Academy and make money off it that way? I mean, that's that's the future here. I mean, that's what you right. know. We talk about unintended consequences and and things that can happen that we don't know. I mean, that's certainly one of those things that would, that would be out there. Say, Hey, come play at the Amani Bates prep Academy. Look at what he's done. I mean, that's, that's a legitimate possibility Yeah, to no, make, no. to make money that has nothing to do with sponsorship. It has nothing to do with, with being a pitch man for something. That's a company and a, and a school and a, an academy that he and his family would own and be able to use his name, image, and likeness in selling to other high end basketball players. Yeah, that, I mean, that's going to be an interesting situation. Uh, and it's certainly one that I think benefits uh, MSU with the timing of him, his career. Um, and, uh, you know, he also seems like one of the things that, uh, you know, at some point I'll get into that I, I, 
want want to explore a little bit because one of the things I think MSU has going for it with guys like Bates who've been around the locker room a lot and um, for a lot of years and is they've got a number of NBA guys right now who either had really good experiences at Michigan State uh, as young players and then I think wish they had stayed or did. You know, I mean, I think a big part of uh, Miles Bridges sticking around was conversations with Gary Harris. And Gary Harris was a miserable SOB as a, you know, 19-year-old uh, sophomore, what would be sophomore rookie in the NBA. Um, Jaron Jackson, he was, had, he, had he to do it over again, uh, would have would have stayed. Um, and it's not that Bates is going to do two years. We're going to talk about that angle of it, which could, you know, in a, in a perfect world for Michigan right. State happen. But what – but with what what is interesting about that is there have been a number of young players who have really enjoyed that experience more than their beginning NBA experience or or, or even come back for it and to have guys you can talk and I think Bates you know Bates seems to me when he talks about not really interested in the G League committing this early he right now seems like he is interested in the MSU experience that's why you commit this early if you weren't you wouldn't you know and so, you know, you may have that as an advantage. And I, and I can see, look, if you're if you're a kid, like I remember when uh, Gary Harris's mom talked about, you know, the cake can look like it's ready, but it, it's not, you know. And a kid can look like he's ready for the NBA. It can be a lottery pick. But uh, psychologically, you know, I mean, that for a, for a young kid, and if they change the rules, he would be very, very young as a rookie yeah. in the NBA uh, who is not that – who may not be that physically – built now he's got a couple of years now but still you know what i mean it might not be a year he enjoyed all that much even if he's a, a, a player who can make an impact and so he may want to see what it's like to have a legacy at michigan state to get to do college for a year and be a star on campus i mean there, there are a lot of uh, things that that have value in that especially if you're able to make some money with name image and likeness right away uh, but chris i, I want to get to the one of the points you brought up to me and uh, and I had to go back and read language because it was conflicting a couple of places. And I, I, I'm pretty sure you're right on this. Is I mean, there's a chance if everything stays right, and obviously things can change. But if everything stays as the rules are now, and they don't amend the the uh, CBA, that he could wind up playing two years at Michigan State. Right. Let me break that down a little bit too, because it, it is complicated and confusing. But it does this would be a situation that the rules do not change and everything stays as it is where the NBA has a hard 19 uh, year old limit and the G league has a hard 18 year old limit as it does right now. So even if the base reclassified because of that age limit, he does not qualify for one year removed from his graduating class. Um, if he would have been, if he would reclassify and then uh, be 19 during that draft year, uh, he would be eligible for the NBA draft. So if it, let's say, let's say Bates was born December 31st, our, our friend Joe Rexroth's birthday, um, in 2003. Um, so three three weeks difference, right? Four weeks difference from his actual birthday. Um, is if it was calendar year 2003, he would be eligible for that 2022 NBA draft by reclassifying. Uh, but because he's a January birthday. Uh, and in 2004, it pushes it back a year to 2023 under the current structure. So basically, at 17 years old, if he reclassifies, he would graduate high school in the spring of 2021. That would leave the 2021-2022 year for him to figure out where to play. He's committed to Michigan State. Um, 
So let's say he goes to Michigan State. Then at the end of the 2022 season there, he's still not eligible for the NBA draft, but he is eligible for the G League draft. He could go to the G League then, or, and he kind of talked about this with ESPN, that that he doesn't see that as potentially being an option for him, but who knows where the financials change or, or might be at that point. Um, that's all in limbo, I think, but just let's in a vacuum, let's say the rules are the same. They are, uh, $500,000 is the cap for, for a G league. He may see more benefit to staying in college that second year because he wouldn't be eligible for the NBA draft. Um, he wouldn't be, I mean, why go overseas at that point, especially if you, have a, a stable situation and and again name image and likeness could play a big big factor in that if the, you know if you're able to make money in college versus either going to the G League or overseas and still have the stability and the ability to to kind of learn and grow and work towards a degree i mean there's definitely a benefit there uh for someone who really let's face it i mean his father's creating this school but ultimately it's it's because of Imani Bates that they're creating this prep academy. And that would be part of his legacy as well and, and potentially part of his earnings. So, um, you know, a lot of things that, that could happen. But but for Tom Izzo, I mean, do you think about the investment that he made in Imani Bates that nobody else did? This could end up being, if he gets him for two years, I mean, this could be bigger than Miles Bridges staying a second year. Without well, and, question. And, and I would think, you know, one of the things that for Izzo and, and you know, Recruiting is what drives coaches away from the game or the, the part they they like less and less as they get older and older. And for a guy like that, you, you think about all the, the hours and the trips and the time put into Jabari Parker, put into um, go all the way back to Chris Weber and all the guys you didn't get. When you get one of these, it makes some of those chases worth it because it was the type of recruitment that you have has become the fabric of who you are is a recruiter the grind the showing up at a three-on-three tournament in texas with shannon brown and his cousins and shannon brown turning around and going what you know like it, it is that um that sometimes you get these guys sometimes you don't when you get one you must feel like you make some of those other hours uh worth it when guys don't pan out and you put all the time in. i, I think this is a I think it's a big deal for a couple other reasons too. And look, Juwan Howard has only been at Michigan for a short time, and so it's not—it's not really. I mean, he and he's recruited, I think, pretty well to this point. He's been in on a number of guys, even when they haven't gotten them right. Um, but I—I I also think, just from Izzo's perspective, who who really has had a fence around the state, and at times when the recruiting hasn't been good, it's been because the state is sort of dried up. That this is really a coup to say, you know, I. Again, I'm still here. This, you know, I, I'm, you know, a major factor in in uh, in that four hour radius that he loves to to own and to get Bates, um, even just as the possibility of Bates for a couple of years is a pretty, uh, I think, tremendous coup. Well, Chris, where do you kind of think everything goes with the name, image, likeness thing, and the academy ultimately? Well, I kind of mentioned that you know one of those things about name, image, likeness is that's a situation where Bates could use his name to promote that academy, the Imani Bates Academy. They could, you know, if, if, if Michigan approves that and, or the NCAA approves that, then, you know, that's one of those things that he can make money off of just his name. He doesn't have to teach classes or play basketball for them. He could be at Michigan state working on his degree and just show up as a picture in promotional materials, things like that. Um, you know, and, and that's going to be the interesting thing. I do believe 
in talking to a few people, both sports economists and and people who have pushed for that law uh, or for athletes to get paid or be allowed to make money off their name, image, and likeness, Bates is going to be a significant test case. Um, you think back, you know, I think LeBron James, when, when he came out of high school, signed a, a pretty darn big deal with Nike at that point and really became uh, quickly one of the most marketable athletes in the world. Um, that Bates, at this point, you know, He's at that point where LeBron was coming out of high school. He won't be proven, um, but he will have a lot of name recognition. He will have a lot of value. And this is why you've seen guys like like Sonny Vaccaro and all these other shoe companies attach themselves to, to kids at a very young age, uh, all the way back into the 80s, um, when, when really the shoe industry took, took flight, um, pun intended, with Michael Jordan and everything else beyond that. But, you know, th- those are certainly some things that um, – you know, we could be witnessing the litmus test of just how much an athlete uh, at the highest end coming out of high school or prep school can make under an NCAA approved or state mandated situation where athletes can profit off their name, image and likeness. And, you know, I mean, will he be able to, to market Pepsi or, or Coke um, versus Michigan State's product endorsements or could, could a player like that sign with a different shoe company that that his college? I mean, these are all things that are going to need to be worked out. But I don't. I, I think if this goes into effect um, as early as 2021, as Florida has done, if Michigan gets it together, or if and it's in the the it, it's passed the state house of representatives with MSU uh, former MSU football player Joe Tate is one of the big sponsors on it. Um, you know, Michigan can get up to speed on that. I think if Bates can can start to, to build his financial portfolio off his image, um, you know, we're going to see a lot of other athletes in the future looking to that, especially the, the high school parents and the high school uh, stars to say, well, we can do this. We, we'll be able to, to go to college and capitalize on it and be able to, to have that meal money that everybody talked about and probably then some. Before we move on to Twitter questions, I kind of want to ask one final question regarding, you know, this Imani Bates stuff. Do you, we kind of danced around all this, but do you guys think at the end of the day he will actually step foot on campus? Graham? You know, a lot of people don't. Um, and a lot, I mean, even people who, uh, you know, I, I, I've heard that it uh, people in our business don't who are, are around the program a little bit. But I, I, my gut, and I've been wrong, you know, but just, I, you know, I, my gut is really 50-50. Um, I don't think it's less than 50-50. So when, when you go at 50-50, I don't I think there's anything wrong with MSU fans dreaming of the possibility and just being aware that it very well could change on you. Uh, my gut is he does spend a year on campus. My gut is some rule. To, if, if I had to really guess on what's going to happen, I would say he reclassifies, spends a year, the MBA rule is adjusted, and he goes. That would just be my gut spitballing what I would think if I had if you, you put it you, you put it uh, you know you put a gun in my head this is what I, this is what's going to happen and I had to bet something that would be the scenario that he spends one year at MSU and what will be interesting is if that's a year early then that that roster uh, you know may include people that you, you, you still know on the, the quite a few people you still know on on, on the team now and because that's really the key too it is great as he may be. We have seen it when teams have not had enough. Now, I, again, I don't think Jabari Parker was him. 
I don't think, uh, you know, and certainly Miles Bridges wasn't him, but that team was was too young when Miles Bridges was a freshman, and, and, and Miles Bridges wasn't the player he is, but to take advantage of it. Duke had a really weak roster. Uh, Jabari Parker should have played on that 2013-14 Michigan State team that was loaded. He made a mistake there, I think. So the, the real key of your Michigan State is making sure you're seasoned enough and, and you build around them just to have enough to really take advantage of that year. Because, uh, frankly, I mean, just because you get the guy doesn't mean that's even your best opportunity at a national championship. But it should be, I think, an awful lot of fun for people to watch. And I think they'll be able to recruit to it. So I don't think, you know, when you start looking at classes and numbers, there are some questions there. But I don't think this will be um, the end of, 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 of some drama around who else would be with, with – with Bates, but yes. So if you ask me, the answer is yes. I think it's 50, 50, but if you've made me bet on one scenario, uh, he reclassified, spends one year at Michigan state, the NBA rule, it's to some degree is, is shifted at least the age limit, whatever it is, even if the, you still have the one, you know, year removed from high school, whatever it is. And, um, and then he's off. Yeah. I'd agree with you on that. Um, about if the rules stay the same at the moment that I do think that it will be, uh, that reclassify and then jump. But uh, so much of it's going to be tied to what happens with the NBA and the players union. And, and quite honestly, the pressure that that could be coming from the federal government for them to make that. Cause remember with all the, the corruption in college basketball and the committees that were formed with that, there was a major, major push in part of Condoleezza Rice's recommendations and her committee's recommendations to get rid of the one and done rule. Um, so if, if there's federal government pressure being placed on the NBA and the players to change that, to, to prevent this, to, to make that happen, I think, you know, then there's a chance that you see that where, where Bates will reclassify for a year and play, uh, just one year. But, uh, if, if what Wojnowski reported that it's may not be taken up until the 2025, um, or 2024, 25, 25, cause I think it, the, the current CBA expires 23, 24 season, um, yeah, I mean, you know, who knows? I mean, you know, maybe he's here for two years. Okay, moving on to Twitter questions. Carl asks, is it more likely Bates is at MSU for two years or plays college somewhere else? I would say at MSU for two years, and I think in large part because of that loyalty factor and the fact that Tom Izzo did all the hard work and all the legwork that nobody else was doing because because they just were like, we're not going to bother recruiting this kid because he's gone and the rules are going to change. Well, Izzo could, I think Izzo stands to benefit from that, and I think there's a mutual respect and admiration uh, from the Bates, and, from Imani and his family, and along with the, the fact that I think that his dad really wants him to play for Izzo. Yeah, and, and I, I'm with Chris on this, and I think he, you know, he's an in-state kid, too, and one of the things about in-state kids is, is the, the Michigan State brand in-state. You know, out of state, sometimes there are, you know, if, this, if, if Imani Bates was from, you know, Texas, and Izzo had landed him somehow, and it was two years to hold on to him, and, you know, Duke become whatever gets in his head or whatever. But the Michigan State brand is is pretty big across the country. They're one of the teams in the Champions Classic, and, and they're certainly a top top seven or eight brand in college basketball without question. But in the Midwest and in the state, for a kid of Monty Bates' age, Michigan State basketball is, 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 is a true blue blood. So... I, I, I don't know that there would be a lot of – that's one of the reasons Izzo's been able to land the kids he has. I don't know that there would be a place with a lot more appeal given where Bates uh, is located as well. Steve Beckman asks, did the tree fall in Graham's backyard the moment the Imani Bates news broke? If that was an omen, was it a good or bad one? 
Yeah, you know, I should try and put piece together the timeline because I was a little behind. I, think. I was literally on the phone with a with a with a pastor for another piece I'm working on, a civil rights piece. Um, one forty eight p.m. on Monday was when he committed officially. I did the math okay. on my my recording. Okay, I, I I'm gonna I'll have to see if I can piece the timeline together. That, that tree did fall right there. It is possible because I talked for how Chris. Here's a question: We might be able to do this. I can tell this right now. What time? I can look at the phone. What time you called me, and that'll that'll help here. Um, let's see here. Uh, this always makes for good podcasting when I'm searching through my phone for. <laughs> we don't have we don't have a music cue. I can I can throw in here sadly. <laughs> All right, so that that was Monday, correct? Yes, Monday. Monday, Chris Solari, incoming call. Oops, you called a couple times. Um, Two o seven p.m. is when I called. Two o seven. So you called nineteen minutes after it happened. I would guess. That he committed before the tree fell. I feel like I feel like the tree had fallen. Well, it might have been. It really was because I was on the phone at least a good, you know, seven eight minutes. I it was real close, real close to the tree falling. Is is he is he committed? So I don't know if that's a good omen or not, but it's an act of God, and that's something, right? Yeah, exactly. I guess <laughs> it sounds good, like good or bad. Yeah. Trees falling usually aren't good omens, though. It didn't kill anybody. We had con- we had uh, landscapers out there uh, two hours earlier in the exact spot where it fell. Only barely scuffed the fence, and it could have fallen through our neighbor's house, too. Like, nobody's hurt, no real property damage, just some power. You know, I'm still on a, uh, um, uh, what is it called, hot spot here. Um, but, uh, yeah, so act of God that wound up being a lot better than it could have been. All right, Joel Alexander asks, "Could the Bates commitment have a domino? Excuse me, could the Bates commitment have a domino effect with other top tier recruits?" Chris, yeah, I would think so. I mean, obviously, uh, Jay Nakins from Farmington yep. is going to play at, at uh, the academy, and he's been long rumored to be a, a heavy lean towards MSU. He's good friends with Pierre Brooks. Brooks is not going to play at the academy, um, but has had glowing words for for Bates, and I think there was an Instagram post where he talked basically. Assuming that Bates is going to reclassify and play with him in 2021. So, you know, is that true? I don't know. I guess we have to hear that from the family and from him uh, first and foremost. But but I think, you know, a guy like Aikens, um, you know, some of those top tier guys like Max Christie, I mean, there's going to be limited scholarships available for for 2021 right now. Um, it's a little more open for 2022 if that's when he he decides that that he would would play a year. But um, I, I'm just assuming, because I've seen conflicting reports, both from the family uh, in Jeff Bortello's story and Mike Rosenberg, who's been pretty close to the family, uh, whether or not Bates is going to reclassify or still just has it on the back burner. So, um, but I do think that, you know, if it's 2021, there's only a few scholarships that could be available. Uh, so guys who want to line up and play with, with uh, generational talent like that, um, especially someone that, that that they have played against and with in the AAU circuit certainly would jump on it. All I can say is agreed. That's well said. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think maybe you tell uh, Foster Lawyer in your senior year. Uh, I know you got a scholarship here. I know you've been here three years. Uh, maybe maybe we can find another place, another place for you look, somewhere. Look, I mean, that, that, that is not something Izzo has done, and, and for coaches who who, yeah. who really haven't made that uh, part of who they are, that that's a hard thing to do. Yeah, because not only is it something that feels wrong but it becomes part of who you think of yourself as a coach you you've done it without cheating you have done it without running kids off you've done it a certain way and uh you know to, 
to, to do something different out of character might make the whole thing feel like a little less. That said, if another five-star kid really wants to come, you, 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 you figure it away, right? Exactly. All right, I miss basketball ask. How many points does Imani average in his first year at MSU? <laughs> like that first year at MSU. And not the second, yeah. the first year. So. <laughs> well, he said average 2021 season. So I was like, well, we – we don't know if it's 2020 or 2022, so I just said first year. It's a good, good question because what was Bridges was about 17, and uh, and so I, you know, I mean, I, I think again, you, you also don't know exactly what kind of roster he's going to have around him, um, and, and so if you've got a loaded team, like, like I'll give you the best case scenario for Michigan State. This is called winning the pandemic. That he reclassifies. Michigan State's basketball season is pretty much wiped out because of COVID-19, which which could absolutely happen. And even though that would stink, because of it, Aaron Henry, Joey Hauser, and Rocket Watts are all part of the roster the year of Imani Bates. And then you got that. sort. So what I mean by that, when I say obviously that would be a loaded roster, but also you talk about scoring punch, how much do you need to score, how much, you know, what it, it's. So I, but let me just, I would, let me just give you a number here and stop beating on the bush. I'll say 21 a game. Yeah, I think probably around 21 and, and, eight or nine a game on the boards and you know he's got a, a pretty good flair for passing so you could maybe see like that you know four or five assists a game i think it was around where bridges was in, in that first year i think he'd probably be at that point as well depending on the pieces around him yeah for for context kevin durant's lone season at texas 25.8 points 11.1 rebounds per game i think rick barnes probably gave durant a little more freedom than i suspect even Izzo would amani Baines. would we all agree on that or not I would agree with that. Yep. All right. Chris Ebel asks, what basketball player is going to have the breakout season this year that none of us saw coming? Michigan State player, I'm assuming. Right? Yes, yes. Not just, not just Graham Couch. Um, Sorry. A la Kenny Goins, if I'm not mistaken on that question, right? <laughs> yeah. He, he referenced Kenny Goins. He did, ref- so. he did reference Kenny Goins, but I just did not so, mention it. <laughs> that sort of breakout season. Yeah. No, it's – you know, the, the player that I, I think – and I've been high on that. I, I think if, if the opportunities there, so let's say, let's say Tillman leaves, okay, um, which creates a little little more room and a uh, little more need inside. I think Julius Marble, with a year in the program, and granted, these guys aren't getting quite the normal sophomore freshman to sophomore year um, prep, but I, there's a guy I just think I don't know when I, I watch aspects of his game. Just the, the edge to him, the physicalness. The um, he's still got a little bull in a china shop, but I just think he's going to be a really valuable player for them. And I don't know if it'll happen this year, um, but that that's a guy that I could see all of a sudden. You're like, wow, that guy is that guy is really pivotal to everything they do. I'm going to go the other route and go with with an age pick, and it's all predicated on how healthy he is. But if he is healthy, I think Joshua Langford gives him a lot more than people might realize. And there's a lot of ifs there with the health factor and and the feet and how much he can play and for how long it stints. But I do think that after the time off, Langford's one of those kids who's hungry and driven. Um, I think that whatever expectations are there, he will surpass them um, to to the surprise probably of his coaches uh, and certainly those outside the programs. But again, that's only if the feet are healthy and only if if he can go for you know. If if, it, if he can play Kyle Arns minutes, um, I think he can be a, a bigger boost than Arns was. Um, if he could play uh, a, a little bit more than that, even 
um, then who knows where he ends up. Alan Perlstein asks, will we see athletes wearing masks or other types of facial protective gear while playing their sport? Well, if football is back, they're going to have to because Michigan State is mandating masks. And I don't see how you could make uh, – they're man- mandating it on campus. Um, so I don't know how you could say that, well, just for football, we're not going to do that. I don't see how you could potentially do that if you made a, a campus-wide rule as such. Um, this isn't, this isn't this the, the alumni smoking cigars anymore. You're talking about having it right in the middle of campus and on national television. I think the masks are going to be a huge prevalent part of whatever campus is for Michigan State, and that's sports included, athletes included. Um, I think it's it's. I don't think there are going to be sports this fall, but that's, I think, that one of the next questions we're going to get to here. So that doesn't really answer this, but that's kind of where my head is. Okay. Uh, last three questions are all from the real Upper Deck Jerk guy. Uh, where do you... <laughs> First one, where do you lay the odds that we have a college football season, especially in light of the fact that COVID will probably explode on campuses when the students return? Well, as we've discussed in a number of ways, uh, it's already exploded off campus at Harper's. Yep. Um, I believe over 130 cases now as of Wednesday. Um, but I, I think we're, we're starting to trend at this point. The fact that you know plans are being made, but nothing concrete has been announced, I think that and, and you've seen colleges around the country slowly start to shut down. Uh, I think we're looking at 25% or less right now that football is back. Maybe there, you know, maybe a situation like what the MHSAA has been uh, requested to to do by by the governor uh, in flipping seasons could happen. I don't know how logistical and realistic that w- might be at the college level, uh, especially in short order because of travel and everything else that that is much more complicated. But but. Certainly, I, I do think that it, it's diminishing the, the, the more that the numbers stay up where they're at. I tend to think that um, it's a good question. I don't think the football season will be as it is. In other words, I don't think the schedule, um, the schedule we see there will be the schedule in a few weeks. I don't, I don't think that that – but I think they're going to try. I mean, obviously they have to. And I don't think they have to make the decision until August. I, I – my, if I had to put odds on a season, though, I would put them well under. There, there are better odds, I think, that Amani Bates plays at MSU than there's a college football season in the fall this year or a, a normal college football season, I think. How's that 14-day quarantine going to work when teams fly to Syracuse for a game? Right. and, I, and I, yeah. You know, there, there's complications that are, that are real and tangible out there right now that, um, you know, certainly the NCAA is – going to have trouble adjusting to on the fly because these things are happening and being created on the fly. Uh, MSU was one of the 10 schools picked for the Madden video game. Does an alum work at EA or is the Spartan brand bigger than we think? I don't know if you guys are familiar with the story at all, but uh, there's going to be a new mode in the Madden video game this coming year where you can start a career at a college and Michigan State was one of the 10 colleges that you can choose. So it's like Clemson, LSU, Miami, Nebraska, Michigan State, those are like five or six of the ten. Uh, I guess, are we shocked that Michigan State's one of the schools they considered? Go ahead, Graham. You're a video game yeah. guy, right? No, I mean, Michigan State's got to, I mean, it's, it's a pretty good, I mean, the basketball part of it is a huge brand, and the football part not long ago was, it's a, you know, but basketball for Michigan State is just a huge brand, you know? So, I'm, I'm not. I mean, you're talking about the the basketball power of the Big Ten, you know? So, I, I yeah, it's it's not surprising to me. 
you know, I'm, you know, openly wondering how much the the reconfigured uh, rights deal uh, with Fox Sports Properties may play a factor in that as well to help boost Michigan State's image um, and profile for these type of, of games and, and exposure with the Blue Bloods. But I think you're right. I think basketball-wise and with what Mark D'Antonio did over the course of the last decade, um, really, you know, people remember the, the three Big Ten championships in that time, which is more than Michigan had. Um, you know, I believe uh, until Ohio State won their fourth, it was right there with, with uh, I believe, Wisconsin, Michigan State, and Ohio State tied with three Big Ten championships in the decade. So, you know, that, that I think, also provides somewhat of a cachet for that. Yeah, I, I kind of thought it might have been a regional thing just in terms of trying to pick different schools in different areas because you got – so the schools are Florida, LSU, Michigan State, Oklahoma, Clemson, Nebraska, Oregon – Miami, Texas, and USC. So it's a lot of blue bloods in that group, but like no Ohio State, or I'm sure Michigan State fans will be appreciative. No Michigan, you know, as one of those 10 teams. So I thought it was interesting. All right, last question from the Upper Deck Jerk Guy. Can I get a non-Zeppelin music recommendation from Solari and a non-musical rep- representation from the other, di- from the other guy? <laughs> Do you want to go, other guy? I agree. Non-musical representation? Non-musical recommendation. I said representation. I meant recommendation. Yes. Gotcha. As in he wants he wants a band, not a music. Yeah, see, right. He does not want to hear uh, Lennon right. or Chicago or company or whatever. Whatever tickles your fancy. Well, let me tell you Sam, about Chicago. He, Sam Fear the Pan Flute. He doesn't yeah, want let me Sam tell you about Chicago and Peter Cetera. You know, uh, <laughs> there's, there's the way to go if you want to go to Chicago. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't I don't. I don't know. There was music besides Les Mis. No. Yeah. I'm a. I'm a. I'm a Springsteen guy, man. That is like. And I'm not just saying like the the, the thing about Springsteen is it's it's the, you know, it's the early '80s stuff. It, very few people of his era wrote stuff in the 2000s from the Magic album to the Rising that are just that good, that different, that distinct. The stuff that he did with the um, with the big brass, uh, you know, around the time of Katrina. So much good stuff. Just take just take Springsteen post 2000 and enjoy it for a little while that would be my advice it's interesting that you mentioned chicago and and peter cetera because um i would have gone and said chicago and terry kath who i watched a great doc i've I've been binge watching music documentaries uh along with a number of other tv shows that i haven't uh, that i tried to get caught up on um, but, and I watched a great documentary on Terry Kath and the early Chicago formation and just fantastic documentary. If you get a chance to watch it along with Iggy and the Stooges, a uh, Jim Jarmusch film that was fantastic that I didn't even know existed. But if I'm going to make a recommendation, uh, probably my favorite band, non-Zeppelin, of course. And so I, I will eliminate Robert Plant's solo catalog and his work with Alison Krauss and Jimmy Page's solo album from 1988 and the album that he plans to put out next year that he's been talking about for the last 15 years. Um, and I'm going to go with a band called Broken Bells, which is Danger Mouse, uh, the DJ, and uh, James Mercer from uh, The Shins, which I saw them uh, back in 2014 down in Detroit. Uh, I, I kind of got hipped onto their catalog at, you know, when their first album came out. I was just kind of dabbling in The Shins right at that point, and and was just blown away by the sonic the sonic landscape that Danger Mouse laid out, and just the, the haunting quality of James Mercer's voice. And the music is outstanding. They they put together two albums, two fantastic albums. Um, After the Disco was their last one, which was good. I really liked the first one 
uh, had songs like Vaporize on it um, and, and a number of other things. But they have a third album that's in the works right now that is probably the, the first time since uh, since Wilco, uh, the mid-period Wilco with, with uh, A Ghost Is Born, that I've been looking forward to an album this much. All right. I suck, I suck at the Broken Bells pick, Chris. Good for you. I like Springsteen as well. So good job on you too, Graham. Chris, I believe the documentary you were referencing is called Now More Than Ever? The History of Chicago, is that correct, or is that a different one? I think that's a different one. This oh, okay. one's specifically about about Terry Cass gotcha. and, and and his. It, it, it's a great fit. You know, if you watch Gene, if you get a chance to see Maya Washington's uh, documentary on Gene Washington and their personal relationship, this was done by Terry Cass's daughter, who died when he or who was I think two when Terry Cass died, and such a real tragic story uh, with Terry Cass. And but but uh, it kind of was her kind of searching out who her father was. And, you know, it, it, it's one of those documentaries that kind of steps past just being a music documentary is real human, human interest with it as well. Gotcha. All right. Well, I think that'll wrap things up for the podcast. Any final thoughts? Uh, well, I, I like this last part, by the way, <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, it's kind of fun to have some news this big in the summer. It obviously was unexpected, but it gave us something that's, uh, that uh, was sportsy to talk about. And, you know, the one final thing I'll say about Bates that's kind of good it is he's a far – like if he was a 2020 recruit, it'd be like, ah, well, look what's going to happen now. COVID is going to ruin the one year you would have had Imani Bates. Like he's far enough out that you're allowed to imagine and dream like in normal times. And I think that is also an advantage for people right now when it seems like everything that's directly ahead may not really include sports, at least as we know them. Yeah, no doubt. And I think the other thing from our end, it gives us a chance to kind of process a little bit of what that year might be like, because all we need to do is start talking to our colleagues at Duke and remember how that that uh, that final or that lead eight was. And, and that weekend in Washington two years ago of being around the Zion experience, because that's what's Michigan State and covering Michigan State at that point with Amani Bates is going to be like. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore friend, and at LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.